Psalm 46 certainly fits the bill for this morning in that the Lord calls His people to come and behold His works in the earth and His desolations and how He's brought wars to cease by burning chariots and breaking bows and spears in sunder. The Lord has led us to a study of His attributes and today we want to consider the humor of God. If you were to do a Google research, you would ordinarily find answers to many subjects or most subjects, but you'll find very little on the humor of God. And yet I have quite an encyclopedia because it's been, I hope that all of the attributes of God are our favorites, but it's been a favorite of mine because God does things in such a unique and creative way to bring a smile to our face and put laughter in our mouths. And if you do not understand that the saints of God should have their mouths filled with laughter, you belong in a monastery or a convent where your fellow professing believers have lived before you. Because the saints of God are not like monks and they're not like nuns. Their mouths are filled with laughter. I've already read that to you this morning from Psalm 126, especially that second verse. And we're going to see it throughout the pages of Scripture. Laughter is a wonderful thing. A merry heart is a wonderful thing. He that will be happy and see good days, the Bible tells us how to obtain that. Because happiness is the perpetual, everlasting, eternal possession of the righteous only. The wicked in their sitcoms and their stand-up comedians, that isn't funny. That is insanity. It is imbecilic. It is totally contrary to everything I'm going to preach about today. It takes morons to laugh at a sitcom. It means that your mind is absolutely empty. It means that you are partially to mostly retarded and that you are following the wicked in thinking that their idiotic one-liners are funny. When there are things in the Bible that are very amusing and there's things at the zoo that are very amusing, and if you don't believe God has a sense of humor, how in the world and why in the world did He create you? Amen. Just take a look in the mirror and ask anyone around you. There's lots of amusing things. And some of the children you are having remind us of it even once again that God has a wonderful sense of humor. I don't mean humor in any foolish sense of the word whatsoever. I mean humor that God laughs. God takes pleasure and delight. God expects His people to laugh. God is going to laugh. He wants us to laugh. And our mouths should be filled with it. And it should come along with singing. The Lord's been so good, it should be like waking up from a dream. The things He's done for us. Humor is the ability to perceive, to enjoy, to express or to cause what is comical, funny, or amusing. It's the ability to perceive that or discern it and to cause it, to express it, and to make it happen. God laughs and enjoys things and events that He causes in the universe by His creation and by His providence. When I use the word providence, some of you may not be familiar with it, and I'm sorry about it, but it's a single word that describes His daily government of the world. God created once. But he continues to providentially govern the world. And so when we say God's creation, we mean the way that he made things. And when we say providence, the way that he manipulates and rules and governs things. What happens on a day-to-day basis among his creatures. I am not referring to anything even close to the idiotic cackling of sinners and their stand-ups and sitcoms. Nor are we including anything like the preachers like Joel Osteen who start every single sermon with a joke. What sinful man perceives as funny does not amuse a holy God. 
And what a holy God perceives as funny, the world doesn't appreciate. They don't know us. They don't know our God. They don't know our Savior. And we don't care about them. By the cross of Christ, we are crucified to the world, and the world is crucified to us. The things we find amusing and funny are very different from what they find amusing and funny. And in the great day of judgment that's coming, the Lord and we shall laugh at them with the last laugh as they are cast into an eternal lake of fire. Because the Lord sees their day is coming and He laughs at them for laughing at Him and for laughing at things holy. We are talking about holy laughter today. The Bible warns us in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 4 that the God of judgment is coming on this world for foolish talking and jesting. And that's not what we're about today at all. We're, we're about the wonderful things God has made and His wonderful government of the world and some of the funny, comical things that He has created and that He has caused to happen. We want to delight and glory in God as He has revealed Himself to us. We don't want to go beyond Scripture. I pray in private. I pray in public to that end. But we don't want to come one inch short of what the Bible's described either. The, the Bible is a wonderful book. And I want you to read it taking delight in its pages and laughing when it's appropriate to laugh. Like it was, it's appropriate to laugh thinking about Cyrus being named by the prophet Isaiah 200 years before he took the throne and delivering the Jews out of Babylon. That's funny that God would do that. Can you imagine Daniel showing a copy of the book of Isaiah to Cyrus, the king of the Persians, that our prophet wrote about you 200 years ago and said this was how you were going to take the city of Babylon and you did it just that way. What do you think of that, Cyrus? We should laugh. We should have a smile on our face. When you see your little kitten chasing its tail around the room in a circle blinding fast, you should laugh. When you see a kitten with some little object tossing it about, lying on its back and flipping it around, you laugh. Because God made that little thing to make you laugh. And there's one man listening to this sermon a long ways from here. I remember his mighty trained German shepherds that he had for the protection of his family. I have never seen any creature, including cats, chase their tails so much as this particular man's German shepherds. Fully grown shepherds chasing their tails in blinding circles. What could you do? There's only one thing you could do. Laugh and then cry that your watchdogs were chasing their tails. The Lord has made so many wonderful things for us to enjoy. Let's first of all prove to ourselves that God does laugh. Turn to the second psalm, Psalm 2. Our young brother Matthew Eastland brought this to us a couple of weeks ago and reminded us of this wonderful psalm that describes the God of heaven and what he thinks of the nations of the earth uniting themselves against the Lord Jesus Christ. Herod and Pontius Pilate came together and the rulers of the Jews and they're described in the second verse, the kings of the earth set themselves, that's the Roman Empire, and the rulers took counsel together, that was King Herod. And the rulers were Pilate and the rulers of the Jews against the Lord, that's the Lord God Almighty, the Lord Jehovah, and against His anointed, that's Jesus Christ, that's in verse 2. These wicked people, the Romans and the Jews, said in verse 3, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. Let's get rid of God and His Son Jesus Christ. Verse 4, He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. 
You think you're going to get rid of the Lord Jehovah and His Son Jesus Christ? He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. That's derisive laugh. That's ridiculing laughter. That's scorning laughter at their hilarity at thinking that they were going to unite themselves against the Lord and His Son. Then shall He speak unto them in His wrath and vex them in His sore displeasure. It's laughter on one side because God thinks it's funny. It's amusing to Him. It's comical that they would think that they could do something against Him. And yet, that laughter is a horrible, fearful, dreadful laughter against these enemies. But it's wonderful for the people of God. These same enemies cut the head off of James, tried to kill Peter, eventually killed Paul and the other apostles, but the Lord destroyed them. He destroyed the Jews in 70 A.D. He destroyed the Romans in 476 A.D. by the Visigoths. Lord, we praise your holy name. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. When we think about the Lord sitting in the heavens, He's the thrice holy God sitting upon His holy throne. But He laughs. He finds it amusing. And then He speaks unto them in His sore displeasure. And He says in verse 6, Yet... Have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion, and you're not going to get him down. I have set my king there, and the Lord Jesus Christ is there at this hour. Turn to Psalm 37. Psalm 37, and Lord, do bless us to manage our time wisely so that we can get a taste of what you've given me to these people, that they might rejoice in your joy, that they might delight in your delight, and that they might laugh with your laughter. Psalm 37 and verse 13. Let's get verse 12. The wicked plotteth against the just, whether it be David or the Lord Jesus Christ, or you. The wicked plotteth against the just and gnasheth upon him with his teeth. And we have those today that hate Bible believers like us. The Lord shall laugh at him, for he seeth that his day is coming. The Lord isn't crying because a day of judgment is coming to tear these wicked to shreds. The Lord is laughing about this coming day of judgment. The Lord gets the last laugh. The day of judgment is going to be a great day of laughter. The Lord hath made all things for Himself, yea, even the wicked, for the day of evil. It's for the Lord's pleasure and delight and laughter that these enemies open their mouths and bark and belch. Those are Bible words. Bark and belch against Him because the Lord shall laugh at Him for He seeth that His day is coming. Psalm 59 please. Psalm 59, I thank you, Lord God of heaven, for the opportunity to declare your word to your people. Let me go no farther and let me go no less than your scriptures. Psalm 59, verse 7, behold, they belch out with their mouth. This is the wicked. Swords are in their lips. For who, say they, doth hear? Psalm 59, 7. They don't think there's anyone that hears them picking on the righteous. But thou, O Lord, shalt laugh at them. Thou shalt have all the heathen in derision. And amen. We say to that, God does laugh and God has laughter. God's saints under inspiration laugh. They write about it and they enjoy it. And I've already shown you that in Psalm 126. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 21. Genesis chapter 21. Instead of 21, let's go all the way back to Genesis 17, 17. This is a funny event in the Bible. 
God thought it was funny. He wanted a couple of old folks from the old folks' home to think it was funny. And He wants you to think it's funny. And I'll prove all of them. God told Abraham when he was about a 100 years old, and Sarah when she was about 90, that they were going to have a son. Now Sarah had never had a son when she was ovulating every month. She had never had a child of any sex. But when they were 100 and when they were 90, they were both reproductively, biologically dead. The Bible tells us that repeatedly in those terms. God told them they were going to have a son. So the first one to hear that news was Abraham. What did he do? Genesis 17, 17, then Abraham fell upon his face and laughed. Now this isn't good laughter. This is unbelieving laughter because Abraham didn't think it was possible. Look at chapter 18 and verse 12 when Sarah hears this news. Genesis 18, 12, therefore Sarah laughed within herself saying, after I am waxed old and haven't had a period in 15 years, shall I have pleasure? My Lord being old also, I added a few words. For any of you that are wondering where I got that from, I'm trying to help you understand the context of what's being said here. The, Genesis 18:12. Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also. Are we going to get it back on being 190, respectively? So they both laugh in unbelieving lack of faith. But the Lord's merciful to that, as you all know, and that's another point for another time. Come over to chapter 21. Come over to chapter 21. Guess what? Look at verse 1. And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. The Lord did what he said he was going to do. He, Abraham laughed at it. Sarah laughed at it. But God did it. Now what did, what happened after that? Verse 6. And Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh, so that all that hear will laugh with me. Now you should be laughing with her this morning. That that old woman, that old dried up, reproductively dead woman, had pleasure again. Her and Abraham went to bed and did something they hadn't done in a long time. And she conceived, and she nursed a baby. Unbelievable. You ever seen a prune turn back into a plum? I'm sorry, you haven't. But look at... The Bible says, God hath made me laugh. The Lord's done this and amused me because I laughed at Him, but now He's done it and He's made me laugh at what He's done to me. Here I am having a son in my old age. And she said also in that sixth verse, so that all that hear will laugh with me. And you ought to be laughing with Abraham and Sarah because that was quite a thing that God did to those two. Now it gets better. Abraham did too much laughing back there in chapter 17. So we come over to Genesis chapter 25. And let's jump ourselves 40 years into the future. 50 years into the future, excuse me. Sorry, my brother. Let's jump about 50 years into the future. And Sarah finally dies. Now Abraham was dead 50 years earlier, reproductively I'm speaking. And he fathered Isaac. But 50 years later, after Sarah's dead, he goes and gets himself another wife. And so it says in verse 1 of Genesis 25, Then again Abraham took a wife, and her name was Keturah. And she bare him Zimran, and Jokshan, and Medan, and Midian, and Ishbak, and Shua. You have got to be kidding me. Abraham laughed at God that he could, that for him to have a child at a hundred, but he hangs around with Sarah for another forty years. Then he finds Keturah because he needs another wife. 
<laughs> That's the Lord getting the last laugh on Abraham and Sarah who thought it was too hard for him to cause a hundred-year-old and a ninety-year-old to conceive children. And Abraham in 140 and 150 and 160 was doing right well with six sons by another wife named Keturah. Now it doesn't have the word laugh. And if you got a problem with that, this is funny. This is amusing. And if you don't laugh, you ought to be in a convent or a monastery because you might not be the Lord's. Because that is funny. Abraham, who didn't think he could do it at a hundred, was doing it at a hundred and fifty and had six more sons by another woman. Praise his holy name. This is the Lord. God made Sarah to laugh. And God said, everybody that hears this is going to laugh with me that such a thing would happen. God has humor. Look at Job chapter 8. Job chapter 8, we're actually dealing with an attribute of the living God. And so we want to make sure that we see this clearly in Scripture. God made Sarah to laugh. God's people had their mouths filled with laughter. God laughs. And now we come over here to Job chapter 8, where it's talking about the Lord. Verse 20, Behold, God will not cast away a perfect man, neither will He help the evildoers, till He fill thy mouth with laughing and thy lips with rejoicing. That's how God treats His people. He fills their mouth with laughter and their lips with rejoicing. Can you find the book of Isaiah quickly and the 37th chapter? Yes, we're going to be turning the pages of Scripture as fast as you are able. Isaiah 37 and verse 22. This is Sennacherib, the great king of the Assyrians, with his spokesman and ambassador Rabshakeh who came to the city of Jerusalem, surrounded that city after they had taken all the known nations in the Middle Eastern part of our world. They came and encompassed the city of Jerusalem with a great army. They wrote a blasphemous, ridiculing letter to the Jews. Hezekiah took that letter and spread it out before the Lord and said, look at what they're saying about you, God. My blessed God, my Lord, look what they're saying about you. What do you have to say to them? Help us and deliver us, O Lord. Verse 22. This is the word which the Lord hath spoken concerning him. That is Sennacherib from the 21st verse. The virgin, the daughter of Zion, hath despised thee and laughed thee to scorn. The daughter of Jerusalem hath shaken her head at thee. This is how God speaks about his people. This is the holy God of the Bible talking about his virgin daughter, his church of the Old Testament, the Jews, the nation of Israel known as Judah in the city of Jerusalem, laughing at Sennacherib and Rabshakeh, tossing their head at them. And that night, 185,000, as D Daniel already mentioned, were dead corpses in the morning. And that king Sennacherib for opening his big mouth against the God of heaven went back with his tail between his legs all the way back to the capital of Assyria, Damascus. He went into the temple of his god, Nisroch. He knelt down to ask Nisroch, what in the world happened? How did 185,000 get killed in one night? His sons came in and killed him while he worshipped a false god. That's funny. Don't you love that? Punch the air. Thank you, Lord. I praise your holy name. I love worshipping a god like you that would do such a thing to the greatest king on earth. Who opened his mouth against you? And you know they're opening their mouth against God right now. The president of our country thinks that Allah is a God. He's opening his mouth against the Lord Jehovah by even admitting such a thing in any way, shape, or form. And God will have the last laugh. Allah is no God except the imagined moon God of the Arabians. Why do you think there's a crescent moon on the top of every mosque? 
They know who they're worshiping. Why haven't you figured it out? And the president of our country. But God will get the last laugh, and I rejoice in Him. God loves to mock idolaters for their insanity in worshiping stumps and stones. Look at Jeremiah chapter 2. You know where I could go. You know I have to overlook many passages in the 40 chapters of Isaiah. But let's go to Jeremiah chapter 2. You know that in Isaiah chapter 44, just before it gets to the prophecy of Cyrus by name, it says that the pagans have a tree. They cut down a tree. And they're looking at that tree and they take a third of it to cook their food. To bake their bread. Because they need a fire with coals to cook their food. Then they take another third of it to warm themselves. And it describes them standing around the fire, holding their hands out and saying, Ah, ah. It says that in the Bible. In your Bibles. Isaiah 44 verses 9 through 20. And then, because they're warm, and because they have their bellies filled, they see that there's a leftover third of the tree. Well, what are we going to do with that? So they carve it, and set it up, and pray to it, and say, deliver me. Now, would you please help me? They cut the tree down, they burned a third of it for their food, they burned a third of it for their heat, and they take the final third and say, you are our God? That's a totem pole of the Nez Pierce and other Indians. A totem pole. They make a God and they fall down to it and they pray to it. That is hilarious. And God mocks them. God says they're feeding on ashes. Their religion is a religion of ashes. They have a lie in their right hand and they can't let go of it. That's funny. Why can't they let go of it? Because God has judged them forever thinking that this world was created by something as stupid as their little totem pole that was the leftovers from a tree that they burned in a fire. Jeremiah chapter 2. Verse 26, as the thief is ashamed when he is found, so is the house of Israel ashamed. They, their kings, their princes, and their priests, and their prophets, saying to a stock, that's a piece of wood, that's a stump, saying to a stock, thou art my father, can you believe that? And to a stone, thou hast brought me forth. Can you believe that they would say to a stone, Thou hast brought me forth? You are my Creator God? For they have turned their back unto me and not their face. But in the time of their trouble, they will say, Arise and save us. But where are thy gods that thou hast made thee? Let them arise if they can save thee in the time of thy trouble. For according to the number of thy cities are thy gods, O Judah." As many cities as there were in Judah and Israel, they had that many gods because each city wanted their own god. And so the Lord mocks them here, and you should laugh when you read verses like this, that they would say to a stone, Thou hast brought me forth. Ridiculous. Insane. The folly of the wicked. Do you know what God would say? God would say in Psalm 115 and Psalm 135, these gods that they make, they have eyes, but they see not, ears, but they hear not, a nose, but they smell not, a mouth, but they speak not, they have feet, but they move not, and everyone that worships them is just like them. As stupid as a stone or a stump. That's what God says. And you should laugh and be amused because idolatry is incredibly insane. It's imbecilic. It's retarded. It's blasphemous. It's horrible. 
The natural creation reveals so much about God that they are without an excuse for worshiping. And brethren, if it weren't for the grace of God, we'd be doing the same. But because it's the grace of God doesn't mean we don't laugh at the wicked. And I hope that you understand that. God's given us His grace, and God's given us the wisdom to see things clearly, and we are supposed to laugh. The Lord hath filled our mouths with laughter. Why weren't they crying about the dead Babylonian soldiers in the city of Babylon? Why would they? Why should they? What Sunday school lesson are you remembering? And I can't find that in the Bible. How much crying did they do for the 185,000 dead corpses? And when the newspaper arrived that Sennacherib was killed by his sons while worshiping Nisroch in the temple of his God, how many of them shed tears? None. They would have laughed yet harder. Just like we should. Just like we did. Just like we will. Oh, there's so many other... Look, let's go to Habakkuk chapter 2. Can you find the little minor prophet of Habakkuk? Keep turning to the right. Zephaniah, Haggai, you're too far. Because Habakkuk's in front of Zephaniah. Habakkuk. This is the burden of Nineveh. God's destruction of the Assyrian Empire in the capital city of Nineveh. And I met Nineveh earlier when I said Damascus. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 18. What profiteth the graven image that the maker thereof hath graven it? The molten image and a teacher of lies that the maker of his work trusteth therein to make dumb idols. Why in the world do they do it? To make dumb idols. Woe unto him that saith to the wood, Awake to the dumb stone, Arise. It shall teach. Can you imagine talking to a stone and saying, Get up and teach us with an exclamation point. Behold, it is laid over with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in the midst of it. But the Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before Him. Do you like that kind of a contrast? Does that put a smile on your face to know that the God we worship in the 18th verse and the God they worship in the 16th and 17th verses? Listen, the Muslims don't even have a God worthy of this passage because they're worshiping the moon God. They haven't even got this far. They're worshiping a meteorite over there in Mecca. The Kabbalah, the cobblestone, go read about it. All it is is a meteorite, and they're over there kissing that thing and worshiping it. Praise God for the truth of the Scriptures. They are all without excuse. We don't need to feel sorry for them, and we don't need to apologize for having the truth. God's been merciful to us, and God was merciful to them by His creation. The truth was clearly manifested to them. And they held the truth in ungodliness, and He has judged them for it. And that is all idolaters. Animals that God made ought to cause some laughter at His creative genius. What do you go to the zoo for? We go to the zoo to see some things that are beautiful, we go to the zoo to see some things that are powerful. We go to the zoo to see some things that are fast. And we go to the zoo to see some things that are funny and amusing. They're funny and they are amusing in the body parts God gave them. And they are funny and they are amusing in the antics that they conduct for us because they're conducting them all day and all night. Some of these creatures that God made. They're always being funny. 
You know, we could take the rest of the hour and talk about God's creative genius that's visible at a zoo. You know, when you look at an elephant and you see that nose that's been pulled out about six feet and two fingers put on the end of it, and it can pick a penny off your hand, that's funny. And then when he goes over and sucks up about ten gallons and gives himself a shower, that's funny. And if you don't laugh, you belong in a convent or a monastery. I look at that thing and I say, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. What a show the Lord's made with an elephant. That little tiny tail, you know, most creatures have the tails bigger than their nose. But look, it's got that little tiny tail and that great big nose with fingers on it. Don't you ever forget the fingers on the end of a nose. What if you had fingers on the end of your nose? It'd be funny too. You know, you, you can just go right through. You, you can talk about an anteater. Can you imagine that there's a creature called an anteater? And when you've seen an anteater doing its job and eating its meal, it's funny. It's amusing. Thank you, Lord. Who invented the teddy bear? Who invented the teddy bear? God created the koala bear and God created the panda bear. Which one do you like as your favorite teddy bear? God made them. And they're amusing to look at. When you think of a bear, you know, we often think of a 1,200-pound grizzly or we think of a 2,000-pound Alaskan. But then there's these little teddy bears God made. Praise His glorious name. Lord, we love you. What about a skunk? Who in the world gave that skunk that apparatus? Schools would try to tell you that evolution did. God gave that skunk his apparatus, and when he lifts his tail and points at you, you're in serious trouble for a long time. Your little soap bar, dial and dove, aren't going to cut it. You're going to need to bathe in gasoline because God made the skunk. You look at a monkey or a chimpanzee, who made them? They're funny. I was making fun of a I don't want to tell that story. I was making fun of a gorilla one day. I hadn't noticed the signs that said, don't tease the animals. I, honestly. I was over 10 feet away from a 200-pound gorilla hanging with his four, two hands and two feet on the, the bars of a cage. And there was a 10-foot grassy area between me and him, and I was telling him where I thought he came from and what I thought of Jar Charles Darwin and that we didn't come from anyone like him that retarded thing hanging there on the bars and I was letting him have it. And this is in front of a large family because I have a large family. And without twitching a single muscle on his entire 200 pound body, he spit and nailed me right in the chest. <laughs> and see, I'm able to smile and laugh about it. There, there wasn't any warning. He didn't miss with one. It wasn't his second attempt because I'd have been a hundred feet away. He got me right there. The Lord's made some amazing... You look at those little monkeys and chimpanzees running around and scratching their armpits and swinging around by their tails, and you're amused by it because God made them and God wants you to be amused, and He's going to amuse us for eternity with all kinds of things, holy and natural, but they're all going to be glorified in a heaven and an earth that has no bondage of corruption on it. What is that going to be like? A heaven and an earth with no bondage of corruption. You look at dolphins and you watch them play. You look at a pig, a mockingbird, owls asking who. You know, penguins walking around in their tuxedos with their hands behind their back. They're amazing. Otters, meerkats, 
You know, I think I, there's some children in this church that love the meerkats at the zoo. Duck-billed platypuses and a sloth. Who would make a sloth? If you go to the zoo to see a cheetah or a leopard, you're thinking of speed. But then you go to the next cage and there's a sloth there that does about, no, don't measure it in miles per hour. You know, the cheetah or the leopard might hit 45 or 50 miles per hour or a greyhound. But a sloth, let's measure it in inches per hour. No wonder it's what a great animal to describe the lazy in the book of Proverbs. You know what it says in Job chapter 39 that God made the ostrich and deprived that beady-headed creature of any brains because it'll lay its eggs and turn around and step on them. And God said, that's because I deprived her of wisdom. And yet, when a horse and a rider appear, that bird can lift itself up on high and outrun a horse. And that's all in the Bible. Job 39 is God takes delight in the ostrich because he could make it stupid and he could make it faster than a horse. He did that. He did both of those in one creature. Have you ever seen an albatross land? Have you ever seen an albatross fly? An albatross in flight is beautiful. It's a large bird and it flies beautifully. But when it lands, it can't stand or walk without great difficulty. It's hilarious. Don't you like those little hummingbirds that come around you? Why don't you send one of them in a cage to Lockheed and say, why don't we have anything like this yet? That can back up, go forward, upside down, turn around in the way it does. Credible little creatures. The Lord is so good in the things He's created. You know what's funniest of all when you go to the zoo? It's the baboons. Those baboons, because God pulled their hairy pants down and left them down. That is the God of heaven pulling down their pants and leaving them down that flaming rear end sticking out. There is nothing evil about that. There is nothing crude about it. The God of heaven, who's thrice holy, created that animal just that way so that you would be amused by it. And that flaming rear end that sticks out so big and swollen and ugly, God did that for you to look at and say, that is unbelievable. It looks like a pair of pants have been pulled down and left down. God made it that way. Rejoice in Him. He has a sense of humor. He made you too. Oh, some of God's judgments and chastening have a humorous element to them to cause us to laugh. What about the Tower of Babel? Why didn't God send a prophet to those people with a comet over his head? that could say, listen, I told you to scatter abroad and replenish the earth. Why are you building this temple? Why didn't God do it that way? Because He wanted to do it in a more humorous way. He gave them all different languages. So when one said, would you please tighten up that rope? He let go of it. And it crushed the man that asked for it to be tightened. And so they left off their building. Because there was total chaos and confusion because they were all speaking different languages. And from thence, men spread abroad upon the face of the earth all with different languages. But what a hilarious place. God calls it the Tower of Babel because there God did confound the languages of the earth. And when you confound everyone that they can't speak the same language, that would be funny. We laugh when we when we see or we hear about a church full of people speaking in tongues because it is amusing because it's not even second cousin to what the Bible describes of speaking in languages by the power of God to convert unbelievers. But just think about the Tower of Babel. That was the greatest tongues demonstration in the history of the world. How about the plagues on Pharaoh? 
I gave you Exodus chapter 8 as one of your reading options last night. The Lord laughs. How did it all start? Moses asked for an audience with Pharaoh. Moses said, The Lord God of Israel has asked you to let his people go. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him? You know you're going to get some amusing things. And so in Exodus chapter 8, we see the plague of the frogs. Now when the Bible tells us about the, fl- the plague of the frogs, and if I could give you a real ribbit this morning, I would do it, but I can't, so I'm just going to tell you about frogs. Frogs were on his bed, frogs were in his ovens, and frogs were in his kneading troughs, according to the word of the Lord. Now is that funny to you? Can you imagine slicing open a loaf of bread, and there in the middle is a frog? Do you know what your casserole would taste like if it had been cooked with frogs burning beside it in your ovens? How about your bedroom? You think a little fly at night bothers you? How about a ribbit from under the covers with you? Frogs in his bed. I praise the Lord God of heaven. I love that. That man said, who is the Lord? God said, even for this same purpose have I raised thee up that I might show my power in thee. And what was part of that power? Frogs everywhere. Moses said, I repent. Please, Moses, take away the frogs. God's, Moses told Pharaoh from the word, from the mouth of the Lord, there will only be frogs in the river tomorrow. That isn't good news. What happens to all the frogs that are on land and in my house? They all die right then. Do you know what dead frogs, dead frogs everywhere might be worse than living frogs everywhere? And it says, the stink filled the land. Yes! What else is there to cheer about? What a God! This was the greatest king on earth! Thank you, Lord. What came next? Lice. The whole dust of Egypt turned into lice. Can you, you know where dust is in your house? And dust in your car? And dust everywhere on the earth? What if all of a sudden it started moving? In lice. And it was on every beast and every person. You had lice everywhere. Awesome. Praise the Lord! Thank you, Lord. How about swarms of flies so many that they filled their houses in the land? One fly at night bothers you if it ever gets in your bedroom. What about a swarm everywhere? They're up your nose. They're in your ears. They're in your mouth. You can't run from them because to run means you've got to open your mouth for more air and you just suck in another quarter of a swarm. They're everywhere. The Lord did it. Flies are irritating. But they're funny when they're not in Goshen and they're only in Egypt. Do you know what? If you could make it to the border of Egypt and take one step across into Goshen, there were no flies there. When did flies ever obey territorial rights like that? The God of heaven. Praise His name. I love the God of the Bible. They had boils breaking forth with blames. You say a boil's bad enough. What is it when it's breaking forth with a blame? Well, that means that boil's inflamed, ulcerated, and it's a pus-filled blister. And they're on everyone. Oh, that's ugly. It's later called the botch of Egypt. And God said, I won't bring the botch of Egypt on you if you'll obey me, but if you disobey me, I'll bring it. And do you know what it wants you to know about the botch of Egypt? That it was also on the magicians. It just sticks that in there. Now, when it sticks in something like, it was also on the magicians, what happens to you when you're reading the Bible? I go, yes! That's the God we worship. 
Why did he put it in writing? Did we need all that stuff in writing? Could we have got away with four or five verses that I overthrew Pharaoh in Egypt and brought my people out? But he didn't do it that way. We've got chapter after chapter (laughs) describing these plagues that God brought on Egypt. Look at Exodus 23 and verse 28 with me. Let's leave Egypt behind. Oh, we can't leave Egypt behind yet. Oh, we can't do that yet. How, how would you like to have hail and fire together? And the fire is not coming from the sky like lightning that only hits one point. It is fire running across and along the ground. That's what it says. Hail and fire that ran horizontal across the ground. How about locusts that darkened the sun? And it says, any green thing that was left, and there wasn't much left after the hail and the fire, but every green thing that was left, the locusts ate it. Praise His name, but there's still more. Why did God take the wheels off the chariots of Pharaoh and his army in the midst of the Red Sea? So that he could think about the fact that he was about to drown. So he could drive his chariot furiously, and chariots don't go very furiously when there aren't wheels. Take a box and put armor in it and cover it with gold and make it as heavy as you can and take the wheels off it. And I don't care how many horses you have or how trained those horses are, it doesn't go very fast. And all of a sudden, the water on both sides looked very shaky. And he stained his royal tunic. And you know he did. Because the Bible wants you to know that when God does things like this, he looses the loins of kings. And if you need help on figuring that out, just think what happens when somebody gets really scared. This is the Lord God of heaven, and I love everything He does. And I don't want you to miss a single thing that He does. Exodus chapter 23 tells us more about Him and what He did to the Canaanites after He got His people out of Egypt. Exodus chapter 23 and verse 28 This is in the Bible three times. And I will send hornets before thee, which shall drive out the Hivite, the Canaanite, and the Hittite from before thee. God sent hornets. Now listen, it's hard to to hide when you're in heavy armor and hornets get inside your armor. It's hard to hide because you want to start moving. Have you ever watched somebody on their riding lawnmower, headphones in, cutting their grass, and the Lord sends one All of a sudden, it's a driverless lawnmower heading toward the neighbor's shrubs. This guy is running around trying to get that thing off his head, and you got to think about an army doing that. It's three times in the Bible, I will send the hornets. You know, you enter a woods or you enter a place where there's caves and ravines in the mountains, and you don't have to wonder where the army is because God has sent hornets, and they're going to come out and meet you soon. It says that three different times in the Bible. I just want to share that with you. Look at Numbers chapter 11. Numbers chapter 11. Some of you may have read this last evening. This is one of my... Well, they're all my favorites. I don't want to... If I say this is one of my favorites and this is one of my favorites, it dilutes it. But they're all favorites. They're all wonderful. Israel told Moses, we hate being out here. We wish we were back in Egypt where we had so much meat to eat. Right. We had so much meat to eat back there. We want meat. God told Moses, I'm going to give them so much meat that they're going to eat it for 30 days until it comes out their nostrils. 
Now, what do you, when you read something like that, what happens to your face? Do you get a frown? Do you get more somber? Do you prepare to go to a funeral? Or do you smile? I'm going to make it come out their nostrils. And this is where Moses showed weak faith. But you know, the Lord, the Lord overlooks weak faith. And Moses said, how in the world could that ever happen? How in the world are you going to give us that much meat? Numbers chapter 11, verse 21. Moses said, the people among whom I am are 600,000 footmen. There was a standing army of 600,000, and thou hast said, I will give them flesh that they may eat a whole month. Shall the flocks and the herds be slain for them to suffice them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them to suffice them? How in the world are you going to be able to feed a nation this large of two or three or four million people for a month of meat? And the Lord said unto Moses, is the Lord's hand waxed short? Has a problem developed since I got out of Egypt? And so a wind came from the Red Sea, and it brought a few quail. How much quail did it bring? It brought quail three feet deep, 20 miles in every direction. Verse 31, there went forth a wind from the Lord and brought quails from the sea and let them fall by the camp as it were a day's journey on this side and as it were a day's journey on the other side, round about the camp, and as it were two cubits high upon the face of the earth. And the people stood up all that day and all that night and all the next day, and they gathered the quails. And he that gathered the least gathered ten homers. Ten homers is one hundred U.S. bushels. He that gathered least had one hundred bushels of quail. And they had these things piled up. Those that owned front-end loaders, bulldozers, dump trucks, they had it piled in massive pyramids of quail. They stood up all night, all the next day, the next night, whatever the Bible tells us here, and gathered those quail. Moses said, what if you were to bring all the fish of the sea? Could you feed meat? Is the Lord's hand wax short? I'm going to make it come out their nostrils. Now that's funny. They wanted meat. They were not thankful for the manna. Do you know how Numbers chapter 11 starts? It talks about the manna. It describes it and how they could cook it and how they could process it and turn it into food. And yet they wanted meat. They weren't thankful with free. There was a free lunch one time and a free breakfast and a free supper. And it was provided to Israel with the manna. Angels bread from heaven. Some of you may have read Numbers chapter 22 last night that tells us about a false prophet named Balaam. Now a false prophet named Balaam was, was having a difficult decision whether he should serve the Lord or he should make the money that the king of Moab was going to offer him to curse the people of Israel. Now he got into a narrow place on the back of his ass. He was riding an ass. Peter would call it a dumb ass. That's in the Bible. A dumb ass. What is a dumb ass? An ass can't speak. Being dumb is the inability to speak. And so this dumb ass, an ass can't speak, is carrying Balaam into a narrow place and moves up against the wall and crushes Balaam's foot. And a conversation ensues between the ass and Balaam. Now, Balaam's actually funnier than the ass. If your ass started talking to you, would you enter into a conversation with it? Or would you want to call Guinness to see if you could get it in Guinness Book of World Records or into some circus? Because your ass is talking to you. And so Balaam starts to beat it. 
And the ass says, I've served you well ever since the day you got me. Why are you beating? Well, you just shut up and quit being disrespectful. You know, there's an angel of the Lord standing right there, and the ass can see the angel, but Balaam can't see the angel. Why didn't God just speak to Balaam from the angel? Why did he speak to him from the ass? Because he wants you to laugh about Balaam and his ass. And because it shows the folly of man that while the ass is talking to him, it doesn't register, there's a problem. A big problem. I love the Bible. You see, I didn't think there was anything good in the book of Numbers. You haven't read it yet. I just showed you Quail and Balaam's ass in the book of Numbers. And there's more there than that. I'm skipping over some of those things. Some of you may have read Judges chapters 4 and 5. Did you know Judges 5 is a long song? Did you know that long song was composed by Deborah? And she mentions herself in the first person in that song, and she mentions her colleague, Barak, and she mentions jail. How did the Lord arrange such circumstances in this major war between the Canaanites and the Israelites that the leader of the host of the Canaanites would come to a tent where jail lived? Who would arrange that? And so here comes Cicero, the captain of the host of the tens of thousands of the soldiers of the Canaanites. And he comes to the door of Heber the Kenite and his wife Jaila's home because Henite is out tending to business and war. And he says, will you hide me? Well, of course, my lord, come right in. And he says, will you give me some water to drink? Oh, I'll do better than that. I'll give you butter in a lordly dish. And she gave him milk. Have you ever drank very much of heavy cream when you were very tired? You need to try it sometime. I know everything's watered down in our society. Nobody even knows what real milk tastes like anymore. That 3.5% that they, they call whole milk, that's not whole milk except for a very sick cow. No cow produces milk with only 3.5% milk fat. you got to be kidding me. That's sick. But anyway, she gave him... Why am I going through all that? It says she gave him milk to drink, but in the song it was described as butter in a lordly dish. The only way you can reconcile those two is that there was some heavy cream in there that would have made good butter. And then she puts him down and she puts a nice warm blanket over him and she says, I'll keep you safe right here. And while this captain of the host, the best that the Canaanites had to offer, was sleeping there, she went outside and found herself it's called a nail of a tent. What's a nail of a tent? It's a tent stake. Now, if you're going to live in a tent, and it's big enough for a family, and everything that a family has to have in a tent, how big is the tent? And if the tent is that big, how big is the tent stake? It's at least 18 inches long, and it's got a pretty good diameter at the large end because it's got to be pretty substantial. She tiptoed back in. She put that right up to his temple and took herself a little sledgehammer and smashed it right through him and drove it into the ground. And that guy was there. And Deborah would sing about it. And Israel would laugh about it. As Oh, you got to read it. Look at Judges chapter 5. Judges chapter 5. Along came the Israelites and she went out and said, Who are you guys looking for? Sisera, the captain of the hope. Well, come here. Come here. Look, is that him? Jail, J-A-E-L. All of Judges chapter 5 is a song. Look at verse 24. 
Blessed above women shall jail the wife of Heber, the Kenite be. This is a song. We're singing. We're happy. We're laughing. We're dancing. Blessed shall she be above women in the tent. There has never been a woman, a little tent woman like Jael. He asked water, and she gave him milk. She brought forth butter in a lordly dish. She put her hand to the nail and her right hand to the workman's hammer. And with the hammer, she smote Sisera. She smote off his head when she had pierced and stricken through his temples. At her feet he bowed. This is a song, so don't mind the repetition. I enjoy the repetition. Ask my wife about devotions last night. I enjoy the repetition. At her feet he bowed. He fell. He lay down. At her feet he bowed. He fell. Where he bowed, there he fell down dead. That's a song. Now it gets better. Watch. The mother of Sisera looked out at a window. Oh, her son's so famous. They've whipped up on so many enemies. Sisera's mother's looking out and wondering if he scored a touchdown today. If he's defeated another nation. The mother of Sisera looked out at a window and cried through the lattice, Why is his chariot so long in coming? Why tarry the wheels of his chariots? Her wise ladies answered her, Yea, she returned answer to herself. Have they not sped? Have they not divided the prey? To every man a damsel or two. To Sisera a prey of divers colors. A prey of divers colors of needlework. Of divers colors of needlework on both sides. Meet for the necks of them that take the spoil. She was already seeing herself in her new clothes that Sisera was going to bring her home that, she, that he had taken from the Israelites. Aren't you? Praise the Lord. I love the Lord. I love the way He takes care of His people. I love the way that He turns... This is a song. This is an inspired song. This is a song that God the Holy Spirit inspired through a woman named Deborah to be sung and rejoiced in Israel and it made it to the pages of Scripture and we are to sing it and rejoice. And how God turned her foolish thoughts about her great son upside down. You all know about 1 Samuel 5 and 6. The Philistines stole the Ark of the Covenant. You've heard about this very recently in a Wednesday evening service we had for one of the young men was thankful to God for this event. Two whole chapters in the Bible. The Ark of the Covenant, that little gold box with a cherubim over it where God would meet with Israel. The Philistines took that thing and took it into the temple of their god, Dagon, and set it before Dagon. When they got up in the morning, Dagon was down on the floor worshiping the Ark of the Covenant. Will they take their god and get him back up into his place? And so when they come in the next morning, he's back down, but this time his hands are cut off and his head's cut off. And then it got worse. The Lord struck them with hemorrhoids in their secret parts. Go read your Bible. Nobody knows the Bible. They neglect the Bible. The Bible's a wonderful thing. But instead of going to 1 Samuel 5 and 6, go to Psalm 78, where I can bring to bear my favorite verse on this event. Emrods. They're called emrods in 1 Samuel chapter 5. E-M-E-R-O-D-S. That is the old English way of spelling hemorrhoids. Hemorrhoids are a very painful, very nasty, very ugly thing that grows where the sun don't shine. That's why it's called your secret parts. And he sent mice throughout the land. So there were two problems. All of a sudden there were mice running everywhere and disease was spreading very fast. And they were all standing around scratching themselves because they had a horrible itch in their secret parts. 
This is the God of heaven. That is amusing. They took his Ark of the Covenant. It is hilarious. It is funny. You should laugh. We talk about it. I preach it. Because it deserves to be preached. Because it got two chapters out of the Bible. There's only 1,189 chapters in the Bible. Two of them are about the hemorrhoids of the Philistines. Listen, there wasn't Preparation H back then, and there wasn't enough Preparation H if they'd have had CVSs on every corner. They were in a mess. And they kept sending that ark from one city to the next city to the next city because they said if it stays here one more day, we're all going to be dead. Praise the Lord. Yes. Do you know that what we're doing today is fulfilling Scripture? Me right now. Me right now reminding you about the hemorrhoids of the Philistines is fulfilling Scripture. Can I prove it? Well, if you're at Psalm 78, I'll prove it to you. Verse 60 tells us the event. So that he forsook the tabernacle of Shiloh. That's God. Forsook the place where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. The tent which he placed among men. Verse 61. And delivered his strength into captivity. What is his strength and his glory into the enemy's hand? That is the Ark of the Covenant being taken captive by the Philistines. Psalm 78 is a history of the nation of Israel. Verse 62, he gave his people over to the sword because the Philistines defeated them. Verse 64, the priest fell by the sword. That's the priests, the sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, and their widows made no lamentation for them. All they said was, Ichabod, the glory has departed from Israel. Verse 65, now start getting excited. Then the Lord awaked as one out of sleep, and like a mighty man that shouteth by reason of wine. He was loud. The Lord was going to do something big and spectacular. And he smote his enemies in the hinder parts. That isn't the back platoons of the army. That's where the sun don't shine. That's their secret parts. He smote his enemies in the hinder parts. That's their rear end. That's the rectal cavity. He put them to a perpetual reproach. Because he, he did it, then He put it in the Bible, and He expects us to read it and preach it today because I want to preach to you the whole counsel of God. Amen. To a perpetual reproach. What's a reproach? Ridiculing mockery of a people. And so we make ridicule and we mock the Philistines for their hemorrhoids. This is the Bible. And there's hardly anyone that even knows the Bible. You know, all they hold up in end zones is John 3.16. One verse out of 31,101. Why don't they hold up 1 Samuel 5 and 6 or Psalm 78, 66? Because God's going to smite His enemies in their hinder parts. He has an amusing, comical, funny, humorous way of executing His judgments at times. Did anybody read Second Kings 7 about the famine in Samaria being so bad that they were eating doves' dung? And asses' heads. And Elisha the prophet said, Tomorrow about this time, a bushel of wheat's going to be about two pennies. And a Lord of the King said, If the Lord open up the windows of heaven, that's impossible. Elisha said, You'll see it, but you ain't going to eat it. Amen. And then you get to read about some pretty neat lepers, don't you think? Some pretty leap, some pretty neat lepers are outside the city wall. They've got the, uh, the Syrians on one side. They've got the Israelites on the other. They're supposed to be in quarantine, so they can't go in any direction. Why would they want to go inside? They're eating asses, heads, and doves dung. So there they are, and they say, listen, we might as well fall on the mercy of the Syrians. At least they got food. 
So they trudge over to the camp of the Assyrians and the tents are all empty because the the Assyrians had heard a noise and thought that it was another army approaching that Israel had hired and they all fled and they were so scared they didn't take a thing with them. So all their gold and all their silver and all their food is stacked up in there for a long siege. And these lepers go into one tent and they go into another tent and their eyes get as big as saucers. We have just hit the mother load. We've got it made forever. And so they start stockpiling all this stuff. Did you read it? Second, okay. Second Kings 7. Then their consciences start to smite them. What are we doing this? Let's go share it with the city. So they went and told the city, and they sent out some spies to confirm the witness of the lepers that truly the whole army had left, and they had left all their stuff. And commodity prices can plummet when God's in charge of an economy like you would not believe. Don't you ever fear the price of groceries when you buy them. You just put your trust in the Lord. David said, I I was young and now I am old. I have never seen the righteous begging bread. The price of wheat, well, there wasn't any wheat. They were eating asses' heads and doves' dung. Can you imagine somebody bringing a platter and setting it in front of you with a fork and a knife with an ass's head on it? Well, you might be looking at the cup of doves' dung it's horrible. Prices plummeted to worry bushel. I'm, I'm illustrating. You can go look at the prices yourself. Were a couple pennies. The king assigned the Lord that had opened his big mouth and said God couldn't do this to watch the city door. And as he stood at the city door, when the people realized how much gold, silver, and food was out there, they trampled him to death. Praise God. Pray. Don't you ever say anything is too hard for the Lord. Don't you ever say anything's too hard for the Lord. Don't ever get so fearful that you don't believe God can do something because God can and will do it if you'll put your trust in Him. Commodity prices can plummet. God can take care of you so easily and you can never take care of you. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. He's so humorous. When you read that story, Can your mind think along with the lepers at their excitement, at their glee, at their mental calculator, calculating how rich they were now, and then their conscience smiting them that they ought to share this? The Lord is so good. He's worthy to be praised. Part of His attributes are His humor. My brothers and sisters, the humor of God is that we want to know God fully. When we meet another person and they are morose, uncommunicative, no sense of humor. They're very boring to be around. God is not like that. When you are walking with the Lord, you are walking with a very humorous creator who made all kinds of things for your daily amusement. Listen, we have some little children in here. I think one of them is M.G., back there about row number six, you know, and all of your children are. Listen, I I saw a photograph this week of a little girl in this church holding a sweet potato that looked like a pumpkin or a watermelon or something. It was so huge. When you looked at that picture, did you smile at all? I had a a great big smile. The Lord gives us so many of these things that God is holy, I'll never deny He is the thrice holy God. But this thrice holy God, there is such a thing as holy laughter. 
and holy amusement and holy comedy, which he has done. He laughs. He wants his people to laugh. And he does funny things throughout the Bible in creation, in his providential government of the universe, and his daily acts in your life. And he wants us to know him and know that he is such a friendly, glorious, heavenly father. Does a father love to entertain his children? The Lord has entertained us. And I want you to know him in his entirety. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. May you humble yourself before him, delight in him, and know that he can easily bring you to great humiliation. But he expects you while you're walking with him to rejoice in how he humiliates his and your enemies. May the Lord bless his word.